right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. There we go. There's somebody's awake. Go ahead and turn into Acts 6 as we continue our series on making a difference. <clears throat> making a difference. Following the Lord's resurrection, uh, Jesus met with his disciples uh, over that 40-day period uh, before he ascended back into heaven. And, and during that time, he mentions, his, mentions two specific things that uh, the disciples and his followers are going to have to deal with or uh, more so do, uh, their future role. In Luke 24, 46, it says, And and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And then in Acts 1, 8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and all Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. We're looking at making a difference by witnessing today. Witnessing makes a difference. Uh, the dictionary defines witnessing as attention, man, I can't even talk this morning, <clears throat> of a fact or event, one who has personal knowledge of something or someone, or, and the third way is someone called to give evidence in a court. And us witnessing is doing those exact three things. We have been called to attest to the facts of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross, his victory over death, and his willingness to save. Uh, those of us who are, have been saved have personal knowledge of Christ's salvation, and our lives are intended to bear evidence or proof of what his Dying on the cross, his salvation changes in your life. And so we are supposed to be witnesses. And we see here in the early church, um, <clears throat> we already looked at Peter and James preaching the, in the name of Jesus and getting beaten and put in jail and everything. But we're going to look at Stephen. And there's three lessons we can see from the witness of Stephen. And let's pray and we'll get into the lesson. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this morning, for uh, having uh, the sun shining and, uh, Lord, being able to be in your house. Lord, I thank you for uh, all that you've allowed us to go through this week. I thank you for bringing us here safely. I pray that you be within each and every one of us, Lord, that uh, I believe this is the most important thing that you have uh, in each and every one of our Christian lives to do. I pray that we, we take what your word has shown us that we apply it to our lives, that we can be fruitful and, and really um, useful in your service, Lord. And I thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the first thing we want to look at is the character of the man. Obviously, um, any saved person can go witness. Can any, when a crash happens, they look for witnesses. They don't, they don't look at you and go, man, I don't know if I can trust you. They, they want to know if you were there, you're a witness. And you have something to say. But there's three, four characteristics of Stephen. 
You're there, uh, chapter 6, starting verse 8. Uh, let's start. Yeah, Acts 6. I'm in Romans. That's why it doesn't look right. It's like Romans 6, 8 does not look the same. Acts, that would be helpful if I'm in the right chap- in book. At chapter 6, verse 8. There we go. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there rose a certain of the synagogue, which is called of the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Cilians of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. The three main things that foundational characteristics we see in Stephen is first, verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith. That's the first step. That's the first characteristic that we need to have when we are going out knocking on doors or telling somebody else that we work with or best one is when you're pumping gas. The guy next to you ain't going to go anywhere until he's done pumping gas. So that's a really great spot to like, hey, let me tell you about what Christ did for me. It's, we have to be full of faith. People who lack faith really conclude that either God's not really able to just save somebody. Uh, me just saying something isn't going to make a difference. Or, or they lack the faith in God can't use me. I, I'm, I'm just not able to say, use the exact you know, excuses of Moses. I'm, I'm not able to talk, God. I, I, can't, I don't know what words I'll say. That's a lack of faith. Christ told the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're brought before the courts. I'll give you the words. The Spirit will give you the words to say. And if you're full of faith, you don't have to worry about, what do I say? How do do I? If if you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And, And all you're doing is telling what Christ did for you. That's, that's the, uh, I mean, yes, you have the Romans road and you have this, you know, the plan of salvation and you can go through that and show them in the Bible, but ultimately just tell them what Christ did for you. What, what did you do? What, what changed in you? Why did you make the decision to get saved and, and how your life has changed? That's a witness. It doesn't have to be, oh, uh, number one is, uh, uh, hold on, let me see, Uh, let's turn into, yes, Romans Road is is a way to help you get somebody there. And it's able to show them from the Bible, which is key in, in opening someone's heart to seeing the gospel, is to have the verses, and we should know the verses, but there's not a special step one. Step two, step three, and if you don't go in this order, and if you don't say these exact things, you're not really sharing the gospel. No, God, God wants you just to tell what he did for you. If you know the Romans road, and you have the memorization of the verses, and where to show them exactly in the Bible, great. Include that into your own personal testimony, because that's what a witness is, is going to somebody and saying, hey, I know what you're going through. I, I was in the same boat. We talked about Nitin. Nitin is doing the exact same thing. He, yes, when he first got saved, did he know the whole, you need to go to this verse first, and you go to this verse next? No. 
He was just so excited to say, look what Christ did for me. Look what he did for me, what he changed in my life. And that's what a witness is. And if we're full of faith in knowing that he's going to be the one that tells us what to say, he's going to be the one that uses us, we can have that first characteristic. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, some Christians don't witness because they lack confidence in themselves. And ultimately, it's not in us. Uh, It's not you. You could have the Romans road memorized, but if you're not full of faith, it's not going to do much. Just, Just because you know words, if you don't have the power, they're just words. And that's the second thing we see there, Stephen, is full of faith and, and power. He's full of power. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the, power, of the power may be of God and not of us. Again, it's, it's not us. You can study, and, and they've got you know, the soul winners class, and it's really good to actually, you know, have things memorized and know how to lead someone to Christ. And because you never know if somebody comes down here and to and during the invitation and and pastor tries to get your attention to come help lead that person to Christ. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the verses. I don't I don't know how to lead someone to Christ. Well, that's our job as Christians, a faithful. Uh, the verse that Awana always used is to be a good steward. You've got to know how to lead someone to Christ. Because the Bible says that we should be able to answer any man. If someone comes up and asks you, hey, there's something different about you. What, what is it? You should be able to know how to lead them to Christ. But it's not our own power. It's not us knowing Romans Road and knowing every single thing. It's not us. It's, it's Christ who has the power through us. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So the third thing, as we see, is he has an irresistible wisdom. Look there at verse 9. <clears throat> then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of Libertines, and Cyrenes, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. In verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Apparently, Stephen knew his verses. It was very easy to be able to see. Look, there's synagogue of one, two, three, four, five. Five different synagogue people, uh, uh, not priests, but, you know, you have the, wow, my brain just went blank. Sadducees and the Pharisees, all, all debating with one man. And the Bible says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Stephen knew his Bible. Stephen knew and presented his arguments with such an impelling reason why Jesus was the Messiah that they couldn't, they couldn't resist it. And not just irresistible wisdom, but irresistible spirit. The Bible says thereby the resistant, they were not able to resist the wisdom 
and the spirit by which he spake. Proverbs 17, 27 ends it by saying, a man of understanding and of an excellent spirit. We see that in both Joseph and Daniel. Uh, great men through, throughout the Bible. Daniel 6, 3 says, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because of an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought it to sit him over the whole realm. See, as you witness to people at work, gas stations, your neighbors, uh, where, where we go knocking on door, your wisdom, but your spirit. When you go knocking on the door and somebody answers the door, you know, Brian talks about when you're singing, your face shows a lot of di difference, whether, whether what you're singing in the hymn book is connecting with what the heart says. Your face will show it. If you're singing joy to the world, then you're doing this, joy to the world. Yep, the Lord's come. Your heart's not in it. Well, the same thing happens with witnessing. When you knock on a door and you say, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Josh, and this is Brian, and we're from Mount Victory Baptist Church, and yep, here, take a flyer. Man, I can't wait to go to your church. I mean, come, come on, You're, you've been saved by Christ, and you knocking on a door witnessing to somebody or inviting them to church should show in your face that you're excited about doing so. You shouldn't knock on a door and the person has, has to give you a drink of milk or something to help with the sourness in your face. You should be able to be happy about it. You should, granted, you know, everybody that knocks on a door, you're nervous. So chattering teeth and sweating is oh fine, but at least look happy about doing it. <laughs> like... There, there's, there's a sourpuss and there's a happy person that goes and witnesses. And that spirit within you should be shown. The Holy Spirit inside of you is not a grumpy old man. The Bible says that he cries out, Abba, Father. He, he's, not, he's not get off my lawn kind of a of person. He's not a grumpy old man that's just inside of you. You know, yep, all right, well, let's see. Let's, what is he reading today in the Bible? I've got to try to help him figure out what it means. No, the Holy Spirit should be producing the fruit of the Spirit. And those, those fruits of the Spirit are not boring, grumpy, anger, sourpuss. None of those are the, the, of the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. It's joy. Those things should be shown on your face and in your life. And that is what one of the things that Stephen and Daniel and Joseph showed to those around him. That's, that's what we talk about when your life should be an open Bible that everybody should be able to read. And it should be that way. But that's done because of how your spirit shows outside of you. So we see the characteristics of Stephen. The next thing is we look at the contradiction of the mob. And this is uh, verse uh, 11. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceased not to speak blasphemous words against the, this holy place. 
and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. It's funny, a lot of this uh, sounds exactly like what Jesus went through when he was brought. They brought false witnesses because they couldn't find a true witness to testify against Stephen, just like they couldn't find one against Christ. But the, the, the funny thing here is the hypocrisy of all this, what they're accusing him of, is they're, they're enraged over Stephen's uh, disregard for the end there, shall change the customs and the place. They're worried about changing customs, the, the uh, religious, religiousosity or the... Um, Wow, what's the other word I'm looking for? Can't think of it. But the, the day-to-day normal things that we just do because we're that way. And, and the Jews were huge upon those. But they were, they were so much uh, focused on, it's a Sabbath day, here's your list of rules. You can't break any of them. When they weren't even worried about the fact that the person's soul where were they going to spend eternity? And yet they were worried about this temple that, that Stephen was talking about. Verse, uh, we'll get into it, the next one. No, sorry, I'm getting ahead. But they brought false witnesses and false accusers to him, trying to you know, get him to have the something that we, that we could pin against them, essentially. The next thing is we see, even though in the spite of the false accusing and, and the, uh, the belittling, look there in verse 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. You see, Stephen wasn't worried and wasn't going to respond with anger or violence or, or hatred or uh, recoil in accusations back at them. He did it with grace. He, he definitely had a response to them, but it wasn't because he was backed into a corner and it's like a rat ready to fight. There's a difference in how we, we see our accusers and how we uh, give them the gospel, and how we show them the mirror of the Bible to them. And so the last thing we want to look at is the content of the message. See, he, he defended himself. Uh, verse, well, sorry. Chapter 7, verse 2, And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto the father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Charim, and said unto him, Get thee out of the, thy country and from thy kindred, and come unto the land when I show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charim. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into the, this land, wherein ye now dwelt. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. 
Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when, he, when as yet he had no child. And God spake unto those wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years and the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And it goes on, but he starts, he goes through the history book. This is, he's telling the people that memorized the Old Testament. And he's telling them the history. And he starts with Abraham. And then he goes through Joseph. And then he goes through the bondage of Egypt, the deliverance of Moses, the disobedience of the Jews. And then the last thing, uh, turn to verse 44 of chapter 7, verse 44. And this is what I, I think, you know, what, what he first said and everything was perfectly fine. Right? Yes, that's the history. We all know Abraham and Moses and Joseph. We all know the history about that. But then he starts in verse 44 about the purpose of the temple and the tabernacle. And he goes through verse 44. And of our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Uh, let's go down. Verse 48. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? And then he gets into 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. See, the issue that Stephen starts his jabbing, his mirror of what the, what the Holy Spirit's going to give him to say, is you guys are all worried about this place. You, 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 they, they accused him of, for we have heard him say, this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place. They're worried about the temple. They're worried about the building. They're worried about things, customs. They're not worried about what God wants. They weren't worried about trying to get other people saved at this time. They weren't worried about people's souls and conditions they were living in. They were worried about having the power and their thumb of control over the people, and having this building that we can call the temple, and, and this is the holy place, and you can't step forth into this court if you're a Gentile, and you can't go into here if you're not. They were worried about all these rules, and Stephen was saying, Abraham followed in faith, faith without the presence of the temple. He didn't have a temple. Joseph, like Jesus, was rejected by his brethren. The people rebelled against Moses and the prophets in favor of idolatry, and a relationship with God is not based on a building. Stephen was trying to get them to... Now, now understand, you've got hundreds of thousands of years of this drilling into these people. This is all they know. This is all they've been taught, and it's, it's a custom now. It's not just, you know... Uh, uh, I go to work kind of thing. It, this is the way we live our entire life, not just when we're doing temple, 
But when we go throughout our entire day, we have specific rules that we have to live by. And this was ingrained in them for thousands of years. And now Stephen's coming to him and basically saying, listen, it's done. We're done. We don't have to do all this. And so you're trying to break something that has been ingrained and in through generations. It's going to be very difficult to break. But he's trying to show them that, yes, you know, you memorize the Old Testament. The Old Testament, and pastors said it many times, is a pointing forward to Christ. The, the temple was a picture of Christ. When we went over the whole tabernacle and all the different items in it and how it was set up, it was set up to point people to Christ dying on the cross. And that's what Stephen's trying to show them is, listen, I, I know you know all this. You, you have the Old Te Testament memorized. You know exactly how the temple was laid out. Does it, does it distinguish interesting that it's shaped like a cross, how it was set up? Does it make sense that it was pointing you to Christ? And he was trying to open their eyes to show them that it's, it's what, it's essentially, he was trying to give them the same message that Jesus was giving the woman at the well. John 4, 23 says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such things to worship him. He's trying to get them to understand this building is not the place. This, it's not about a building. It's not about where do we worship. If you remember that woman at the well, she was telling Jesus, well, you, do we have to go to Jerusalem to worship? And Jesus said, it, we're not talking about worshiping in a place. We're talking about a person you're worshiping. But the next thing we see is the, their hypocrisy. Verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. See, he, he changes his, his uh, message from the history books to the hypocrisy that he sees in them. And obviously, nobody likes being uh, uh, called stiff-necked. Uh, nobody likes uh, the finger being pointed at you like David with Nathan, you are the man. Nobody likes having it ac accused of themselves. A commentary on this portion says, they have accused him of reviling the holy place, but then he accuses them of resisting the Holy Ghost. They accused him of slighting Moses, the man of God, and yet he accuses them of slaying Jesus, the Messiah of God. They accused him of blaspheming the law, and he accused them of breaking it. That was from John Phillips. We see Stephen changes. When we, he does it, though, in love. When we witness to somebody, 
you, you can go up to somebody and say, you're, gonna, you're a sinner, you're going to die and go to hell, and you're going to burn for eternity because of it. Is it true? Yeah. Is anything that, that was said was not biblical? No. That, that, that was right out of the book. You can say it that way. But how many flies are you going to catch with vinegar versus honey? There's, there's a way to witness, and we see that with how Stephen does this, is we have to understand, and, and he's realizing this too, he was in the same boat as they were. You and I were in the same boat as the unlo- unsaved. We were lost in our sins. And yes, can we preach to them and tell them that they're dying in their sins and going to hell and going to burn for eternity because of it? Yes. But we can also do it based off the fact, I was in the same position you were. I was in my sins. And I, if I would have died, I would have been in hell, lifting up my eyes, burning in hell. There's a difference on how saying it. You can say it as though you're high and mighty, or you can say it, like Pastor says, just a beggar showing other beggars how to find bread. That's how Christ did it. That's how Christ... Uh, showed his love. That's how Christ witnessed and, and told them about what was going to happen. And that's how he instructs them to, to show others to himself. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilty before God. Listen, this is a mirror. The Word of God is a mirror, and it shows every single person their flaws. You can't give somebody the gospel without it being offensive. You can't. There's no way to tell somebody that they are lost in their sin, and you can say it as lovingly and as as hopeful as you can be. It's going to be offensive to somebody. And we see that here in, in this whole entire account of Stephen some end up believing, but they take him and they stone him to death. It's offensive. This idea of love and, 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 and just happy, clappy, and, and let's just all get together. The Bible is not that. The Bible is to show us our faults and our failures and how we can change those things to be more like Christ. It's an offensive book. That's why the, law, the world hates this book. It's because it points out their problems and their flaws and what's wrong with them and that they have to be accountable to somebody, to God. Not themselves, not who they want to do, but they have one day they're going to stand before Christ and God and be judged for those things that they have done. And the books will be open, whether they like it or not. We don't get to choose that, but we can do it with as much love as we can because we realize how offensive this story is going to be to somebody. We can understand when we were in their position, if, if somebody came up and slapped them in the face and smacked them over the head with the Bible and said, you're going to burn and die in hell. Did that work for some people? Yeah. But it also should be seasoned with love. 
Just like we're supposed to be salt. What does salt do to French fries? Makes them taste good. What does salt do to mashed potatoes? Makes them taste good too. But what does salt do in a wound? Does it make it feel great? Mm -mm. It burns. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be seasoned with salt. We're supposed to be salt that's useful to people, but realize you're also going to be offensive when you do it. So the last thing I want to look at is the, the climax, the ending of his message. It, it began in the synagogue over debating on what Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ was and the message uh, about who he was. Verse 55 of, of chapter 7. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. See, in just a few moments, Stephen would join Christ in heaven. Uh, and to imagine... We always talk about wanting to hear that good, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And God allowed Stephen to see that exact thing. Christ standing on the right hand of God. He, he does that not just for Stephen. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus promised his presence for those who witness for him. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He watches us. He's with us. He's watching everything we do. And we may not be able to, every time we witness or see or do something for Christ, do we, are we able to look up and see Christ standing and watching us? But he is. He promised he's with us always. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget his work, and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. When we make sacrifices for Christ or stand up to speak up or, or give the gospel boldly for his sake, we may, others may not notice, but he does. And in the end, unfortunately, just like Peter and James saw when they gave the gospel and, and preached, some believed, but unfortunately, in Stephen's case, most believed not. Acts 57, or 7, verse 57, And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran on upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. The childish, uh, I mean, cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. It reminds me of a kid. La, 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 la. As childish as it was, of them, you know, essentially being a child of immaturity, sticking their fingers in the airs and, and, and running out, and they determined to kill him out, out of their hatred, out of their outrage. And, and sadly, people who reject Christ don't always reject him with a reason. Just like they, they did it as a child does. And a lot of times when you give the gospel, people don't reject him just because it makes any sense. 
They, they, a lot of times people uh, refuse just to hear his word. Jeremiah 29, 19 says, Because they have not hearkened to my words, saith the Lord, which I send unto them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but ye would not hear, saith the Lord. But there was one person that made a difference of what Stephen did. And Stephen never knew. Verse 58, towards the end, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. You see, that young man became, who wrote most of the New Testament. But Stephen never knew that. Stephen wasn't even pointing or even testifying or witnessing to Saul. And in fact, at that point in time, Saul had no, it wasn't like he just decided to get saved right then and there. But he never forgot it. When when Paul later recalls, uh, go to Acts 22, Acts 22, 20. He never forgot it. Acts twenty two twenty says, And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. That that moment, that that witness that Stephen gave of the gospel may not have seen as Paul or as Peter and James saw 5,000 get saved. But because of his faithfulness, a young boy heard. And it may not have been right away, and it may have been way later in his life. But he never forgot that. Paul never forgot what he did. Never forgot where it all started. Where do we first, are we ever introduced to Saul or Paul? Right here. This is when Paul comes on the scene. Of our, our theme is making a difference, and there's many ways we can make a difference. And like I said, I, I believe this is the most important and closest to God's heart of how we can make a difference and how we can change this world. Luke 19 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Making a difference by witnessing is, is, in my opinion, out of all these ones, and we'll continue going, is the most important. And the one that makes the most impact is witnessing. Because if, if you don't like what's going on around, you know, we complain about what's going around in, in Washington or in the city or anything like that. It's, it's not because we can change something about Oh, they need new politics, or they need new policies. If we get them saved, the rest is going to fix itself. Salvation is what they need. And we need to be faithful in witnessing. Let's pray. They're busting down the doors. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning for being in your house again. Lord, I pray that we, uh, Lord, each and every one of us, uh, we have a witness to tell. Uh, we have that ability, and, and we have that story of how you saved us. Uh, Lord, I pray that we be diligent, and we be bold, and we, uh, Lord, just be obedient, uh, Lord, to tell others about what you've done for us. Uh, Lord.
Lord, I pray that you be with the next hour and with Pastor. Uh, and thank you again for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.